and gentlemen, boys and girls, and everybody in between. He's your favorite Mexican-American Gemini from South Texas. It's Chibi. And she's the lipstick-loving Salvadorican from Brooklyn, New York. It's Rocky. And this is Words and Shit. The show where you get to know the person behind the poetry. Brought to you by Right Art Out. Yo, Rocky. Oh, I no, we can't hear you, Rocky. There we go. There you go. Or there you <laughs> go. Yeah, I was just saying, you looking mighty fine and fresh with your little curls out and your eyebrows did, ready to get going on this uh, episode of Words and Shit. Yes, I know. You know, I just turned 31. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm feeling myself. I'm feeling this age. I'm feeling great. But Mina, look at you. I love this cut. I love this. It's super fresh. Did you even put makeup on? <laughs> I, girl, maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's Mac. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, he had to look cute. I started a, a, mm-hmm. a, my, my writing workshop yesterday. This four-part writing workshop. And so I was like, got to look fresh on the first day of school. Okay. We got to yes. look fresh. But wait, let's talk about, uh, it was your birthday, it right? It was your birthday, yes. What'd you do? Tell me a little. What did I not do? I feel like I've been celebrating <laughs> <laughs> for the past, like, two weeks. Any other Pisces out there that are watching right now <laughs> that are have been celebrating for a whole month at this point? So, yeah, it's basically um, <laughs> kind of ridiculous. I, I think I was trying to celebrate the first week. Um, the first week I was trying to celebrate like my ending of my 30th birthday, right? I thought that was like such a huge momentum, um, uh, moment in my life. And so I was like, not grieving, but saying thank you to it. And then welcoming my 31st, right? Mm-hmm. With literally, um, bad bunny. <laughs> <laughs> I'm mad at it. I'm mad at it. Cause I think it's uh, oh look, Brandy says happy birthday. I yes. think it's. I think it's so important, especially right now, to just like take moments uh, for to like care for yourself, right? To for self care and and self improvement, you know, things that are just gonna better yourself in this life because it's so crazy. Like outside of your birthday celebrations, what are some of the things that you've been doing to just kind of take care of yourself and nourish your soul, your heart, your mind, all the things? Yeah, well, I know it's like my birthday season. I know you said outside, but I think what's been really heightening this. I guess, self-love for myself going into my 31st is that I've been secret, not secretly, but I've been writing all these like little manifestations mm-hmm. as well as like notes to myself. So I wrote a note to myself at New Year's Eve. I wrote myself at Christmas and from last year too. So I'm reading these notes back to myself and seeing how much I've grown. Um, to the, my Right now I'm using my, it as a bookmark, but I wrote a little note to like a little uh, note for myself, even for my 31st birthday, right? And I think that's so important to just reflect and be in my feels of when I was, who I was, and then who I want to be now. So I'm manifesting a lot of love and I a lot of love, whether or not be my family within myself or trying to find someone to share that love with me. Look, yeah. let's be honest. When are you not in your feels? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All the time. I'm ready. I think I want to be in my feels when I hear um, our guests <laughs> read his poetry. And then you, like, how do you do it? Like, how? What are your acts of like self love and self care? Because I know so, everybody's different. So first of all, I don't force myself to wake up 
until my body says it's time to wake up. All right. Mm -hmm. That's just the luxury that I have right now. And I'm taking it. Uh, and then two, I really like as, as a writer, you know, like I've taken a lot more investment and stock, mm -hmm. uh, in trying to improve that. And I've taken a lot of workshops in the past year, a lot of workshops, mm -hmm. uh, which have just like really just opened my mind to how much more, uh, uh, amazing, like how much more there is to this whole writing and poetry world. Uh, because like, like most people know I come from slam. So I'm now like really diving into like, but what about how it looks mm -hmm. on the page and, and all these forms. And now I'm geeking out of reform. And uh, I was mm -hmm. fortunate enough to take a workshop with our feature tonight that when we bring him on, we gonna talk about this because he almost made me late to the show uh, mm -hmm. and he doesn't know. Um, but yeah, the workshop was absolutely incredible and just cracking open different ways to look at poetry. Um, so let's bring him on because like, I, I wanna get to the poetry. <laughs> I do too, I, I'm super excited. So let me introduce our poet. So John Sands, the one and only, is a winner of the 2018 National Poetry Series, selected for his second book, It's Not Magic. His work has been featured in the New York Times, as well as anthologized in the Best American Poetry. He teaches at Brooklyn College, what, CUNY? Um, <laughs> Urban Word NYC, and for over a decade has facilitated a weekly writing workshop for adults at Bailey House, an HIV AIDS service center in East Harlem. He also teaches the Emotional Historians Workshop and lives in Brooklyn, New York. Can we please give a round of applause and welcome our guest, John Sands. Show some love in the comment section for John Sands. Hey. Hey. Oh, oh, wait, I think I lost your audio. No, what? No. no, we're here. We hear you. Can you hear us? Can you hear me? Yes. yes. That's great. That's more in part. <laughs> You can't hear us. I can't hear you, but I can see. I mean, your facial expressions are really expressive. This is terrible. <laughs> oh, no. Um, Let's see. Wait, I'm going to boom, boom. What about now? Can you hear us now? Oh, no. No? no? Okay. I'm going to put in the private chat. Uh, log out and log back in. There we go. Technical difficulties, y'all. It's it's the virtual world. Get out and come back in. Get out and come back in. There we go. Okay, mm -hmm. I think we got it. Lord. It's okay. okay. <laughs> it's okay because that's what we're here for. We're here. People are seeing us live um, going through these technical difficulties. You know, um, virtual events are very tricky. I'm curious. Let's ask the yeah. audience. Uh, how many of you have experienced technical difficulties in the past 12 months? <laughs> For the past year. <laughs> yeah. What's your funniest Zoom story? All right. Your funniest technical difficulties story. Oh, uh -huh. well, we got uh, we got Karen Scott in here who's excited to see John Sands when he gets yeah. back. Bow, 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 bow. I know. And, uh, I was, yeah. I was actually saying since, you know, we're now navigating this virtual world. Oh, um, world, my my quarantine anniversary is coming up actually this Saturday. Really, I know March thirteenth is where I basically will be a whole year since I've actually mm -hmm. I have never gone back to I haven't gone back to my own like office since this quarantine, right? Um, and navigating this virtual space has been 
wild. <laughs> yeah, we got Jordan saying all day, every day, technical difficulties. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> we got uh, Carolyn saying, forgot I was casual on bottom and stood up. Oh my God, pants optional mm -hmm. in the world. Um, but you're right. It's been basically an exact year. A year ago, mm -hmm. I remember we were in San Antonio. It was AWP. Yes. You know, it was the first time I attended AWP. I was so excited for it. And then uh, it was like only half AWP because so many people decided not to come and so many events were canceled. And then we were supposed to have a feature at Blah that Monday. And while our feature was in the airplane on the way to San Antonio, the world shut down. Mm -hmm. And when she landed, we had to be like, so the show is canceled. But uh, we're going to go live um, on Facebook and uh, we're still going to try and have a show either way. So I think that's just part of, you know, trying to navigate the space and the virtual world that we're in and improving as we go. We are 100% improving right now, waiting for John Sands to get back. Yeah, I mean, like that's not even you know, like this is this is what happens. I just had a um, for so for those who don't really know, um, I actually do a lot of event planning for the college campus that I work in. So literally an hour before this event, I just had another virtual event with like students and just students coming in and out, and we had to repeat the whole entire you know, instructions and like, make sure they're on mute, make sure they're not on mute. And it's still, you know, you would think after a year we would be okay with it, but here we are. But I'm actually really excited that because of these virtual spaces, we're able to um, really get to even know these poets, right? Like I yeah. see John Sands, you know, or invite poets. Cause I don't know if y'all know, but traveling is expensive, <laughs> right? To bring in features. So I know that this is actually makes it more accessible um, for a lot of y'all, um, especially I know for even for me and I get to see my friends and everything. I know Chippy, I feel like Chippy's just- <laughs> I'm sweating bullets over here. Yes. Okay, <laughs> but so no, you're, you're totally right. You know, And that's when one of the blessings about uh, just having this virtual space is getting to know poets from all over the place, right? From mm -hmm. everywhere that we wouldn't normally be able to. And he's back and let's see if we can bring him on. Yes. Can you hear us? I can hear you. I'm so yes. sorry. No, you're you're fine. Chippy was like, I could just see the like sweating over there. I'm just chill. I'm just like, we can talk. Let's go ahead, Chippy. We got this. I'm my you. high blood pressure. I don't know. You all are pros. Thank you so much. I've switched rooms. Um, that's really all I did. I switched all right. rooms. I don't I don't know what it was. You know, we do a sound check before this and everything was fine during sound check and then it wasn't, but it's it's good. We have you here. And I want to tell you my story. I'm ready. Uh, because you almost made me late. I was sitting there and I was like working on this chat book that I've been working on. And I come across this poem that's like that I have written in quatrains. And I was like, this poem could be a pantoum. <gasps> what did John Sand say about pantooms? And I go and look at my notes and I was like, this poem needs to be a pantoum. <laughs> and like just immediately dove into making it a pantoum. And I was like, I've created a pantoum. And oh shit, it's seven o'clock. I got a show to do. I got to go, I got to go. You turned an original draft that was not a pantoum into a pantoum? into a pantoum. To me, that's the hardest thing to do. I've tried that a couple of times where I've been like, man, maybe this is a pantoum. 
and it is literally impossible because the wires are so it's it's like unweaving a basket so and weaving it into a new basket or something. Maybe that's actually easier. That's really impressive. The poem wanted to be a pantoum. There was a lot of repetition already happening in the poem. The poem was about like a single moment in time and 47 things happening in that single moment in time. So like it wanted it. And I just didn't know how to craft a pantoum until I took your workshop. So thank you. And also you may have contributed to my excessive sweating. And I, I wish I could take credit. I didn't invent the pantoum, you know? I was really just a conduit. Uh, I'll take it. I'll take it. You you gave it to me. Somebody gave it to you. That that's the way these things go. But uh, yeah, that's that's my story. Let's get into this, y'all. Let's get into yes. this. All right, Jimmy, do you breathe a little bit? <laughs> I can breathe. I can breathe. <laughs> All right, cool. So, um, John, I am so excited. I've heard so many wonderful things about you. Um, I was actually been reading your book, and I feel like I'm slowly getting to know at least. I was reading the new clean. So I got to know like the twenties you, right? Wow. You're like 10 yeah. years ago um, to, the, to the year, right? Um, so I feel like we can be friends. And so I always love to start off our podcast with this question. So how's your heart today? How's your heart today, this week, this year? How's it been, friend? Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, mm. You know, I was really resonating with what you were saying uh, to start the show about uh, marking down, you know, little like artifacts of where you are and then checking in on your progress, um, and, which almost makes it sound like, you know, I don't know, working to get a higher position at a company or something like that, which is not what you're saying. And no. I'm at, but, but I really resonate with what it is to kind of check back in on the artifacts of, what was meaningful to you at any given moment. And I'm at my parents' house right now. Um, uh, my newly vaccinated parents, we brought my son uh, here to Cincinnati and, um, and they're leaving Cincinnati. And so that will really be my last, um, you know, foothold on this city. Mm -hmm. And like many uh, people, they, uh, they have like a box of old things that I've just counted on them holding on to, but the like, like it's the, it's, it's over. I, the box is my box and I'm having to go through all this old memorabilia and yeah. so many old journals that have, you know, deeply meaningful to me then journal entries that I have no recollection of. And so it's like falling <laughs> in love with my, you know, girlfriend in college. And I don't know, like what it to getting suspended from high school uh, for being drunk at winter formal. And just, I mean, all of those things grow to be stories that make you who you are. But when you go back and you leave a record and a trace of what was meaningful to you at the time, um, there's so much that you can learn. It's almost like, do, are you, have you ever seen the like Harry Potter, like the pensive, the way? Yeah, so they take mm -hmm. it out and not, it the bowl. Not mm -hmm. a JK Rowling fan right now, but the pensive no. <laughs> in general, that like concept of what it is to dive into someone's memory as opposed to diving into the past. I feel like I'm really in this kind of hyper nostalgic, but also kind of, 
sorrowful space of having yeah. to come to grips with how not meaningful some of it is to me. Yeah. <laughs> and having to be like, wow, I really was hoping someone else could keep these things for me so yeah. I wouldn't have the, the weight of them. Um, so I'm just shedding a lot right now. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and that's always really sad, but I feel like so much space opens up when you shed and all of a sudden you, you know, mm -hmm. so that's a long answer. The short answer is I'm doing good. And I, appreciate <laughs> I, well, I can't even imagine all the feels of that because, you know, like Cincinnati, all that, that area has been so much a part of you and like where you grew up and all of that. And to just like your parents leaving there and you not necessarily really having a reason to go back anymore, you know, except to maybe like see friends or something. Karen Scott says, no more Ohio trips, question mark. Oh no, don't worry. Karen Scott, great to hear from you. No, 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 no. My wife, uh, her whole family's in Ann Arbor, Michigan, um, which is close. And so I have a pretty good relationship with the Columbus poetry scene. And during non-COVID times, I've tried to, uh, you know, see them from time to time yeah. and will and will continue to yeah good good well before we dive into the poetry we want the audience to get to know you a little bit better so we're going to start off with a section we like to call speed dating uh feel free to answer these questions as concisely or as in depth as you feel is necessary to answer them so first question in regard to poetry and influences and inspiration where do you find more in the canon or in contemporary oh i mean no question in contemporary there are so many voices who i mean that's where i fell in love with poetry i feel like so many other people were taught the canon in such a backwards damaging way um on so many levels right on so many levels as something so distant and to be appreciated, but not something that was viscerally, deeply, critically important. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, the voices that make me feel, um, I don't know, alive mm. come in the last 20 years. <laughs> All right. Good answer. Good. All right. So let's see. The next question is, where's the place you feel most yourself? Um, I mean, there's this, uh, I don't know if it's a location, but I honestly, the only answer would really be my home. There's this poem by Linda Gregg called The Weight that's about two horses who live together always. And there are all these beautiful images of like the ways in which the horses, I don't know, like rest on each other and head to mm -hmm. rump in the night and in the day. And there's this moment where you think that she's kind of outlining um, that she's there, you know, like she's the narrator, she knows everything. But then she says, there are things they did that I don't know. The privacy of them had a river in it. The privacy of them had the whole world in it or the universe in it or something like that. And I feel like that with my um, wife and with my, uh, child like they really I don't know that the privacy of us has a river in it and so <laughs> I try to be really genuine in all the spaces that I am but I feel like that really is the me that is allowed to like fall apart the me that's allowed to 
be put together, that's allowed to dance, that's allowed to do, I don't know, all the things. So I would have to go with that. I love it. I love it. And totally relate to when it's like, uh, you guys want to go out back when we could go out? I'm like, no, I, I'm actually good. Just staying at home with yeah. my husband and my dog. <laughs> yeah. The privacy of us has a river in it. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm writing that one down. <laughs> All right. This is, uh, this is my favorite question to ask. And sometimes it's an easy answer. Sometimes it's, it's a hardball. What is yeah. your favorite? What is your favorite dish? <laughs> I'm sorry, it's not funny. I'm just embarrassed because every time I like talk about foods, like I am in hors d'oeuvres, man. Okay. Oh, so, oh. I want to be like, oh, you know, like big salmon or something. But no, 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 no. Or like any main, I am like the bread that comes before the meal. That's my favorite dish. Um, yeah, and I will get full on it. And I won't regret it. Mm -hmm. You're the deviled eggs and hummus kind of guy. Like if I'm at a wedding and there are people with plates, it hits that awkward moment where they're like, Haha, you again. <laughs> like, uh, I just, this is great. What is this, a pot sticker? I love it. <laughs> God, I love that so much. No judgment, judgment free zone. We'll take it. Wait, what were your answers? Have you all answered that before? Your favorite, your go to? Uh, yeah. my, my answer was spinach artichoke dip. So I'm with you on this. Rocky, what, what was yours? It, it was between, it was, it split. So it's pizza and pupusas. Both great answers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. And speaking of, because I'm thinking about, so. I wanted to end my celebration of my, uh, my birthday with a New York style pizza, right? So as we're thinking about New York, because um, I also loved like taking the train. So to me, which train is your favorite ride? And like, where are you going on that train? Oh, God, that's such a hard question. <laughs> my favorite ride has to be not to go like, you know, the person who grew up like looking for indie bands and like underground rappers wants me to like, wants to say like the R train or something <laughs> like that. You know what I mean? Or even the G train, but it has the to be. I mean, I, I lived in Gowanus for a while. And so mm -hmm. the G train, I just loved the way that the G train would uh, just fool you. Like every once in a while late at night when I was taking the G train, you'd be coming back from Williamsburg and it would be like, mm -hmm. nope, you have to get off at Bedford Nostrand and wait for another train that's just, like there's just one train going back and forth between the two. So you, I mean, the G train just pulled tricks that no other train could do. It was full of mind games in ways that are just honestly poetic. Uh, but the, the queue going over uh, the bridge when it kind of mm -hmm. rises up out of the tunnel, because we used to do poets in unexpected places on the, um, on the Q train because they had this 15 minute stretch where you could go on with eight poets and it was just mm -hmm. enough time that like, you guys had Adam on, right? Mm -hmm. It was Adam and, and Samantha Thornhill and Sarita McFadden and uh, Ilana Bell and it would be like one poet would get up and read a poem and everybody would, you know, like do what they do when somebody gets up and starts talking on a train. So they'd just look <laughs> away, look at their book, like whatever. But then that person would sit down and from the other end of the train, another person would stand up and start reading a poem. People would be like, wait, is that, like, are you in 
Like, is that confrontational? Is that you know <laughs> each other? And then when they sat down, if a third poet got up, literally something would happen on the New York City subways that I never saw happen when it went well, which was a fair amount. But everybody would be like, wait, is everybody on this train prepared to public speak today? <laughs> oh, it's hard. And in 15 minutes on that stretch on the queue, though, we would have people who weren't with us get up and read a poem or do a dance or like sing a song. Or we would have people get up and just be like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do right now, but I'm very grateful to be here. Um, and so I don't know. My, my like, nostalgic, that's New York City at its best. At its wow. Best. Poetry like, flash mob. It really is. It's a delicate curation, but when it works, it works so well. It is. It is a very cosmic uh, showtime. I love like showtime. Yes, <laughs> poetic showtime, which is funny because when you said the G train, for me, no one loves. Nobody likes the G train, right? But they don't. They really don't. <laughs> the G train is poetic because I try to take the G train, and I feel like it's always just chaotic. But the, I will. I love that it's the Q train. You ended it with the Q train because that's actually my favorite train. And that going up on the bridge, the Manhattan Bridge, is my favorite view too. It's majestic. Favorite. It's majestic. I think the people in Queens enjoy the seven train. Like it has a similar thing. But it's I, never mind. I have it's nothing a little too impact they saw on New York City subways right now. I don't know if other people are really <laughs> look, it's called words and shit for a reason. We're gonna talk about them words, but we're gonna talk yeah, about some shit too. And that, that's that's the beauty of it, you know. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, I think that's basically our our last question. So um, now we're going to go back, you know, go right into your feature and shares your words, right? So for those who are in our comment section who are watching, please, please, please just go and give a little snap, virtual snaps, some claps, some like, yes, that was amazing. Give some support to John uh, while you do this majestic um, feature for us, John. I'm so excited. All right. So I, yeah. I'll just start, yeah? Okay, great. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna share a lot of poems that are, um, that are new and I guess a few poems that from the book, but we'll start with this one um, that's a few months old and it's called, Why Did You Make Us So Small? Why did you make us so small? smaller than the feet of some dinosaurs, smaller than a grain of sand's baby brother. Why did you make us so lost, so in need of a hammer and wood and roofs, so available to plunder from your many wonders? Why did you make us so fragile, so crumbling at the foot of a compliment in the wrong tone? I mean, resilient, adaptive, but fragile in the face of a bullet or a boxcar. What is aging all about? And if everyone does it, why make us this afraid to die? So willing to call guns a human right. Why create time if you planned for us to be afraid of change? 
so afraid, so small, small as a mouse's smallest foot, small as a needle point's middle initial. Why did you make us separate bodies if you knew how badly we needed each other, how we would insist democracy and capitalism were synonyms? Why make the fog if you knew it would enter our brains? Why make the truth then make us rather not hear it? I'm sorry, I'm sorry, because strawberries are worth dying for and pineapple and my son's stomach after dinner, but before bath and my wife's neck and everything in her head. I'm sorry again, but why did you make us so small? Small as the finest print, small as a thimble's water glass, small as each life behind a name in a graveyard, behind the names in an empty field. Oh God, desire, desire, desire. Why make us each the center instead of the circle? Um, and so this next poem I wrote recently, as Chibi was saying, I've been leading these workshops called, uh, it's on, they're called the Emotional Historians Workshop. And our first workshop of the cycle for this one class, the one that Chibi was in, uh, was on January 20th. And weirdly enough, Chibi and I, during the writing time, like wrote separate sides of a group piece on that first day. And the date I think is only uh, important for reasons that will become pretty clear early on. So it's called One Last Thing. What I wanted to say was bye all day, bye all night. I wish you blood blisters on your smallest toenails, bread, no knife, bed no sleep, wish your orange hair tied to the monkey bars of a playground in any city you desecrated while the children of the now dead play hopscotch while you watch with no power, no buttons to push, no tax breaks for billionaires paid in SNAP benefits and textbooks. I wanted to make fun of your hair, but my best father is bald and my only child's hair is the color of a setting sun. I wanted you at a too small desk, the kind meant for the child you are, while photo after photo of what you have failed to destroy parades before you. The earth itself, you fucking nightmare cloud. You lost city of fuck Lantis. You fucking coward. You leaking trash bag. America's diaper pail bursting at the hinges. You liar. I wish you to look into the snuffed out flame behind your own son's eyes. The tension and vast emptiness that you both would see if you were forced to take each other in without talking for minutes on end as we have been forced to look at you. I wanted this to be by all day, by all night, but I have of course made you too. Each time I held up traffic to breathe in the car wreck, I made you. Each time I acted because I was afraid of losing what must be lost, my loves, my job, my life, which all must go sometime, hallelujah, all must go. Each time I thought safety was borders and not bread. I wish you gone, I do. I wish no child 
to have your face to admire, your words to mimic, your small, small, small kernel-sized country to claim as their own. You are the president of nothing, the beloved of no one. Put your ear to the outer space of one shell and listen to all you will never be. You are smaller than a dust mite in a forgotten coal mine, the clippings off a dead man's toenails. You're a fucking punchline and no one is laughing at you or with you, but always in the next room where you are not allowed to be because you think you are each room you enter. You are no room at all a lonesome dagger, a tooth in a dirty sink, unloving and unloved, a brick fallen from a crumbling house. Thanks. This poem is called, You Know How You Try to Say a Thing. You know how you try to say a thing and think, how you're going to say it and what you're saying all in one moment. You know how you'll be sad and just accidentally try to make everyone sad and when it works or doesn't, it doesn't change anything. You know how you want to make this complicated so that you can think more? It's a real thing to love. You know how you build bomb shelters just to hide when the going gets medium? Bombs love that. You know how you think you're vulnerable, but you're just sharing too much? You know how you don't say how you feel in order to look complete? And then, you're invisible. Keith Haring says every audience member is an artist because they create the meaning of a piece of art. Or he said it in the past tense because he was alive when he said it. And now he is a thing that we have all agreed is called dead. Dead is what happens when everyone who loves you wants to talk to you the same way they always have and can't ever again. Dead is when all of what you made, love letters, poems, voicemails, your tongue into the shape of a clover in a high school photo is all that you are. Sometimes dead is kaput. Dead makes your acquaintances think of you more often. It makes your true loves say, I don't know how I'll continue to live. Talking to the dead is a staticky connection, to say the very least. And saying the very least is what the dead do best. Because when you're dead, people say what you would have said. Your memory becomes a commodity. Your death, a commercial, which ends with a candle. I speak to the dead with my yearning. I can write to the bottom of a lake. And you, like me, might think it's nonsense. But you, like me, also suck sometimes. You, like me, can be so cynical, you'll look at death and say, prove it. 
You, like me, may have nothing left to learn from all that you can't see. It's unbearable to know so much, you stupid idiot. And there are things you don't know that only you can know. Thanks. And so this is my last piece, um, which is, I think, the second to last piece in the book. And I'll just say this. I wrote this at a very specific time in my life where I felt as though um, the work I was making was braver than the life that I was living. And I had this one experience where I was uh, at the old uh, Urbana Poetry Slam, which at that point wasn't even at the Bowery Poetry Club anymore. And there was an incredible, you know, night of poetry. And, um, and it was one of those like poetry nights where there's a DJ playing between each poet. The whole thing was a party. The DJ was Rico Frederick, um, who's an incredible DJ, incredible poet. And, um, and I had this experience there and it was kind of in the tapestry of all these other things that were going on in my life at the time. And so I remember, you know, just like not being able to shake it. And so I woke up the next day and this was what I wrote. I threw my hands from my wrists because I liked the way the beat sniffed around the speakers like a dog searching for the right place to shit. My butt was against my blue jeans, against the ripped leather of some couch, listening to some beautiful poet profess what they dreamt about once because we are scared to write out the new dreams because they are happening right now which is a good time to tell you that I am not alone. I am next to one hot cup of soup. She could melt the wax off a wick if you catch my baseball. Now I don't know her. It's just two people, one couch and a bundle of old dreams. But I cross my left leg in her direction like a knight if the couch were a chessboard. And in my newest dream, I think I see her see me. I think I see her adjust her butt against her pants against the leather right now, which is a good time to tell you that my heart has not been working right. It's a cold bowl of wax. It could freeze the juice off a mango. I have been carrying this pistachio in my ribs for months. I have been trusting people only when I write about them. I have been straight to voicemail. I have been sewing a dress from all of these books and wearing it to my one man prom. And I don't know what her hair smells like, but I want to. And I don't know what her mom's name is, but I want to send her an email questionnaire. I want to reach my arm to the right now, which is a good time to tell you that she is actually two ladies and only one, I got an email that said she only knew me, but she loved me. And then I got an email that said, Something else. Uh, she only knew me, but she loved me. Uh, and I said, I don't believe in magic outside of my poems. I said, you can't love me. All I did was write a book and she still wrote back. Only one, I liked the comment that she made on someone else's Facebook status. And it isn't the one right here, but my elbows 
heard the beat ride out the speakers on horseback and my shoulders got yanked by some invisible lasso and I am talking to the air with my entire body. And if I was waiting for the perfect time to say, how do you do for an invitation to a dinner party, for a flow chart to say trust is a risk like poetry, for a sign to spark in the back of all these old dreams that say, John, let it ride, to hit send until I already have an email transcript of the reply. I am already 30, old enough to know that one day my heart will shut down altogether and I get to choose for what. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> was that sound effects? That was incredible. <laughs> applause, 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 applause. Oh man, so great. So great. <laughs> I'm I'm like, I don't know. I get so emotional. I definitely am always in my feels. Um, that last poem really got to me. I think it's not just only the your words, John, but the fact that you smile. You have an amazing smile. <laughs> yeah, so you do this poetry and it's like your cheeks, like the words and what you're feeling are definitely reflected on your cheeks. And I, I love it. I love it. It just makes me really warm inside. That's great. I, I realize that only when my face starts hurting. I've said it before. One of my favorite things about this show is watching Rocky backstage <laughs> respond to the poems that are happening because it is, it is one of the, it's an experience to watch her respond. So I feel so grateful to have, I mean, uh, I, I, to me, I know you come from uh, performance poetry backgrounds or just rooms that value orality. Um, and I, I just feel so grateful to have come up in, a, in like open mics and slam scenes that have really cultivated our ability to naturally eff, uh, like affirm audibly. Because mm -hmm. um, it makes every, it makes every performance a group piece. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. It really speaks to the uniqueness of every moment. So I'm the same. Even when you guys were giving your opening monologue, I was backstage going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I like that. And we're and we're gonna write that group piece, okay? And I'm gonna find a way to New York, and we're gonna perform it for one night only at the Bowery. <laughs> I don't know. I'm manifesting. Okay, I'm throwing it out into the universe. That's or on the train, on the Q train. That's why I wanted. <laughs> or on the Q train. train. Oh, the Q train wants that piece. Yes. The, yes. the Q train wants a group piece. You know, <laughs> just dissing forty-five. Yeah. <laughs> but you have a lot of uh, you. There's a lot of curiosity in your writing, which I really, really love. Um, and there's something that I've been curious about. Um, when I first met you, let me paint the scene. It was it was 2007. It was the National Poetry Slam in Austin, Texas. <laughs> and you were running around with my, my, my best friend at the time, Christopher Lee Daniels. And he introduces me to you. And he introduces you as Versace. I know. What is the story there? I don't think There's I ever got an answer. No story. That's There's no story. <laughs> started calling me Versace. I definitely wasn't like, hey, I prefer to be called Versace. I mean, I didn't mind. We were friends. And so, you know, a friend gives you a nickname and you just go with it. So, 
Yeah, there's no nickname there, <laughs> or there's no story there. Like the, I, I mean, obviously it didn't stick, but I was I was just always so confused about it. So, <laughs> but thank you for clarifying that it's just one of those Chris, Christopher Leeisms that happen in the world. Yes. But, <laughs> well, then let me ask you about mm -hmm. uh, Slam, because again, that's uh, mm -hmm. that's where I first um, met you. Um, that's my background. It sounds like like that's where you came up through with like this performance kind of spoken word aspect. Yeah. When did you make the decision to, to, I don't know if it's like a decision, but that leap, right? From spoken word and slam to like academics, right? And, and poetry and the written word, like what was that leap for you or what was that transition for you? Sure. Um, I think the very first year that I was writing, in Athens, Ohio was probably 2006. And I was uh, not thinking about the page, but that, even that's not true. I mean, there were, I was at like an open mic that published a little chat book for the open mic, and then I started formatting it on the page. So I think I always cared about how it meant or how it sat, but I don't, I, I, I don't wanna cede the page to academia. Um, you know, as, as like, or make those two things synonymous. But I will say when I moved to New York, that absolutely changed my life. Um, and participating in SLAM changed my life in New York City specifically at a time where I was really seeking out mentors mm -hmm. and I was a sponge. And, you know, I don't think you can really overstate how many, I mean, this was a time where I met my, so many of my best friends, where I was like four nights a week at uh, open mics, you would have the Latter Arts Project on Mondays, Urbana on Tuesdays, the New Eurekan on Wednesdays and Fridays. Um, and there were always little events that were coming up. And so honestly, anybody who's writing I loved, I, was, I asked them, you know, can I get five book recommendations? And I was devouring books. And so the more that I devoured, I think the more doorways opened up where, you know, I was like, oh, you can write like that. Oh, you can write like that. Oh, you can do that. So when I got Willie Perdomo's Smoking Lovely in 2008, I remember I was taking a workshop with him uh, through Urban Word um, on how to teach workshops. And I had just started teaching at this syringe exchange and I talked with him afterward and he just like very, it happened so quick. He was like, just write your address down. And then he sent me a book like that <laughs> week. I was nobody, right? Um, and I read that book and I was like, oh, you can just write about your friends. You can write about your relationship with your family. And I think, you know, and again, I don't think any of this is academic. It's mm -hmm. that I was participating in spaces where if you think about all the things that you are, you know, um, funny, uh, tender, um, politically motivated, like uh, all of these things are faucets, right? And so I had been thinking of slam or poetry as kind of necessitated by righteousness or I had to be the hero or something like that. So I only had my hero faucet open and all of these other things. It was like, I would read, you know, Willie Perdomo and I was like, oh, all my friends are now available. That faucet's open. I would read Stephen Dunn and I would be like, oh, I, I'm funny. Like, I, why would I withhold that for hope of what, right? Like, and so I think so much of it was about just really trying to allow, it's not like you have to go in pursuit of those things. It's just allowing them in. Mm -hmm. 
Um, mm. And so, I don't know, at that time too, I mean, me and Gene Anver Lee and Ebony Hogan and Adam Faulkner and like we were editing each other's work, you know, just always. So you're putting out chat books, you were always had a friend looking at stuff. So I think it just really naturally became a pursuit. And it and I never thought of it in terms of a desire for academia success. Um you you just being, just yeah. let me be. <laughs> that is yeah, I mean I think so. I don't, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> no, I love I think that's the beauty of New York, right? That's what people always go in out to seek, just like this community of just brilliant writers and just being in like the zeitgeist, right? Of um, just the moment of like those times. And yeah, when you're talking about academia, you know, we said in your bio that you, you know, you teach at Brooklyn College, just like your trajectory in general, do your students, I just wanna know, like do your students even know like who you are, who, how, like how you've been influencing like new generations of like spoken word poets and all that stuff. Like, is it, is this just weird? Like, are you like a professor and um, and just like, yeah, this is who I am in Brooklyn College, but out in New York, I'm like, I'm John Sands and I'm a great writer. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, uh, I think that's a really generous interpretation of who I am. Um, and so I'm pretty much like this with my students. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think, I think it goes pretty well, but I did, I got evaluated. Uh, <laughs> you know, you have to get like evaluated by some mm -hmm. professor and uh, she was really, really smart, but one of, she was really complimentary in her evaluation. But I remember she was like about to retire and she said, I think you can be 10% less folksy. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, it was like your students don't have to like you, and I was like, okay, I don't, I don't like that note exactly how you mean it, but I will take that note um, <laughs> and translate it for myself. But I thought it was funny. Wow. Well, I mean, you you talked about it a little bit right now, like you know, when you first moved to New York, you were a sponge. You were reading books like constantly, just everything you could take in. Uh, when you look at your your bio, your long bio on your website, uh, it's pretty extensive, you know, and not just in terms of the work that you've produced, but also the spaces you've curated, the projects that you've worked on. Um, it seems like you kind of live, eat, breathe poetry 24 seven. Is it safe to call you a poetry super freak? <laughs> I mean, much like the Versace nickname, I don't think that would be my first way of describing it. Um, but I, I love poetry. And I do think that there was a moment in my life where I said, I'm gonna take this seriously. And so if I'm going to take it seriously, then I'm going to read seriously. And, and, I, and I'm, of course, you're like, that only works if your interest backs it up. Mm -hmm. um, but I have goals, you know, I have reading goals as much as I have writing goals. And so I guess, yeah, I'm a super, I'm a super freak. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what was, let me, let me follow that up real quick. What was that? What, what has been that arc been like? Because like you said, like you, you said, like, I'm going to take this seriously. Right. So where, 
where was that kind of like arc of that transition or that moment of like, oh yeah, poetry, that's cool to like, no poetry. That's what I'm doing for a living, for life. I mean, I moved to New York City with that, really that hope in mind um, and was immediately humbled, you know, like showed up at the Bowery Poetry Club, got eighth out of eight in a slam that I was not robbed in. And like <laughs> nothing I've done to this point is going to cut it. And so I quit for like six months. I remember that. And it was really when I kind of felt the absence of, of what the thing is that we do that's really pure. The thing that um, is akin to what we were talking about earlier as far as what, what Rocky was saying about these documentations of self. Mm -hmm. I need that. I mean, I truly need, my poems are six months ahead of me almost always, if not mm -hmm. further. And so oftentimes what's coming up in them are things that I am refusing to look at or things that I'm finding ways to not grapple with. And so there are, that's not to say that they're therapy, right? I think Mahogany Brown said they're, it's therapeutic, but it's not therapy. Mm -hmm. um, but it really is such an important piece in how I understand the world. So I felt the absence of that and specifically through community mm. and what it is to have that be something that you do with people, what it is to hear other perspectives, but also to hear your own voice in a room and, and you know, experience what it is to articulate when you're nervous and scared of what it is that you even have to say. That's such a critical component. So I went back in search of that and it really opened something. I, I was not gonna slam at all. And then I kind of did like a last chance slam that year. And it could have gone any number of ways. I just ended up sneaking onto the louder arts team. And it really, <laughs> honestly, but then once I did that, I was like, I am going to really try to dive in head first and do what I can to create spaces then. <laughs> and so, I mean, it's a lot like those workshops that really, um, things like poetry and, or poets in unexpected places. And these are not just me, right? These are real collaborations with people or Super Duper Fresh, which is this open mic with Mahogany Brown and Jive Poetic and Adam Faulkner and Rico Frederick that we run in Brooklyn. You know, I mean, these are things that come from a need, a personal need that you hope is a communal need. <laughs> into which you grow, right? So I remember yeah. sitting at, you know, we were all getting a lunch or something like that. And I was lamenting a, a lack of open mics that felt kind of like listening, good open mics that you felt like you really had to bring something you were proud of. Yeah. And they all agreed. And then Mahogany was like, let's do it. It's called Super Duper Fresh. And uh, I have a venue <laughs> and we <try> <laughs> oh, because she's a magician. So I don't know, you know, that's a long kind of sprawling answer, but I really have tried to be available to, um, I don't know, to, to what I need <laughs> and to try to build it um, and always with other people. That's awesome. And I guess like speaking about community, because not only do I feel like this whole conversation, it's very in the forefront of being communal, right? And your writing is very about community as well. And you do a lot of work in the community, like a decade of weekly writing workshops at the Bailey House. You write um, in a poem about hosting one at a needle exchange. And why is this 
kind of work so important that you think it's like weaved into your your life and it's been a major part of it? Um, that's such a good question. And I mean, I can tell you why I think that arts education is vital. Yes. Um, <laughs> Speaking to, to, to an administrator over here, yes. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think, you know, it's one of those things that for poets, you, you think it's self-evident, but there are many administrators who are like, wait, what do you mean it was an incredible day? What's the data on that? How do we measure an incredible day? What are the outcomes uh, on that? And so a lot of times, you know, the poetry existing in the needle exchange comes from, you know, relationships of people who had come and kind of seen me perform and then asked to like uh, set up workshops or I don't know, you know, like, and so it, it really required administrative buy-in is what mm -hmm. I mean. And so I haven't, found great ways to prove the outcomes on these things, except to say that I think it really, really strengthens communities and especially in service agencies where so much of the groups that are incentivized are support groups and, and necessarily, right? Like support groups, uh, overdose education, uh, mm -hmm. so many other really necessary programs there's something different that happens in the exchange of story. It's, it's lack of necessary outcomes is I think at the center of also why it's so successful because it's a breeding ground when you bring in the right poem and somebody reads uh, an Adeselis Germay poem or an Aaron Smith poem and that art takes the first step of vulnerability and you say, hey, we have 45 minutes now where we're really gonna talk about all the things that that makes us feel. And the artist kind of opens up the room for us. And then of course, it's just such a necessary and obvious next step to say, how do you feel? Mm -hmm. um, uh, don't you have something to say? And when you make space for people to say what they have to say around other people, and it's an exchange, that's how relationships are filled, are, are formed. That's how communities are formed. So it's not necessarily, a, you know, I don't know. I, I wouldn't be able to say like, oh, this this person who struggled with addiction like doesn't struggle with addiction now. But that's not the point of it. The point is that art is a human right, and making space for art to exist uh, solidifies communities wherever they are, whenever they are. Um, and you've continued to make space, you know, for those communities. You've been able to really like adapt in this new virtual COVID world that we're living in right now and and have really kind of like embraced what you can do with um, with virtual. So the the real question is, when is cooking and poetry with John Sands coming back? <laughs> no, never. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, wow, you're like the one person who saw that, I guess. Uh, no, no, no. I'm I'm eager to try your hummus recipe. I, I'm I'm gonna go ahead. I, and <laughs> yeah, no, that my friend Rob Devanini got a grant and it was about cooking with poetry and asked if I would do a cooking show and read poems. I loved it. I mean, you should look it up if you haven't seen it. Um, 
It was it was great. It was great. But no, that would be a one off. <laughs> the real question, the real question. You know, you started. We were talking earlier about the the workshops that you've been doing called Emotional Historians, right? First of all, what a fucking name, <laughs> you know? Like that 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 name, like for that workshop, carries weight to it. And I think uh, you do a really good job of like uh, validating the weight that that name carries in the way that you navigate the workshops. So, like, what was the impetus to? for starting these as well as continuing them. Cause at this point it's a series, you know? Yeah. I mean, I was finishing up a workshop at poet's house when quarantine began. And so we, we did our first, our, it was a six week workshop and the last two weeks were virtual. And I was expecting a real drop off because I am really a child, a literary child of sharing space. I mean, mm -hmm. that, is so integral to my process, but I was amazed. I don't know, we moved to Zoom and the structure worked and the format worked. So at that point I was like, hey, if you guys wanna keep doing this, <laughs> there's literally nothing stopping us. And uh, I had, I think five spots left um, because you know two thirds of the people wanted to sign back on. And so I opened it up publicly and ended up with another section. And that one, I mean, now, they've just been moving on and on. So I do it in kind of six week increments and they've grown and grown. So we had four sections this past, uh, this past cycle. Um, and I mean, you know, it, uh, it of course feels good to be employed um, during this time, but it also has been a unbelievable privilege during a time of that is like characterized by grief um, by uh, isolation for so many, by loneliness, by proximity to tragedy. And, and so I think it's like, I've gotten to spend this year, you know, in three hour increments talking about the things that feel really, really vital and the stories that make people who they are. And yeah. so in every one of those workshops, there's, you know, we really break and Chibi knows, you know, the goal is to write a whole first draft. It's not to take notes on a new poem you're planning to write. And so you come back and then there's a share out and those share outs are transcendent spaces. And so I don't know, I love people reading new work that they just made. I always think it's such a treasure when nobody had a chance to edit, everybody is communally alone and saying, mm -hmm. okay, you're writing it they're writing it. I know there's going to be a share out that's going to hold me accountable. And so every time I break, I'm like, I don't want to do this. I'm going to go get a snack. I'm going to like leave. But there's something about the accountability of those workshop spaces. It really feeds, feels like it, uh, it serves a need for me. And I'm, and I'm grateful that other people feel the same way. That's great. That's great. I wonder, since I know that you're describing these spaces as I want to say just majestic. I think I'm just stuck with the word majestic, right? Or transcendent. Word. <laughs> um, do you have like a line or a poem or a title that one of the, the people that have attended your workshops um, share during these share outs, you know, like that just stuck with you while we're in COVID and, and that. <laughs> That's such a good question. <laughs> Um, uh, I don't want yeah, to violate thinking... anybody's privacy. Way to put them on the spot, right? <laughs> There's some first drafts, but the answer is yes. 
and mm-hmm. those things stay with me. Um, that's the answer. Okay. Yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> that's a great question. <laughs> no problem. You know, Tibby was like, "Is it me?" No, it's okay. You're making a great impression with I have hair. all Tibby's lines in my head. All that's the constantly because I write nothing but bangers all the time. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I really do love this. Also, this concept of like being communally alone, um, just because I feel like. That is the essence sometimes you feel when you are in New York, right? Like to be in a packed train by yourself, but you're like, you are alone, but still filled to the brim, like touching other people, but you can still feel so lonely in a city with like millions of people, you know? Um, yeah, depending on how you feel, right? Mm-hmm. That train car can feel absolutely like the loneliest place in the world. And it can feel like a wave that you're surfing. Mm-hmm. I mean, New York is oftentimes either a wave you're surfing or a wave that's crashing on you. Um, mm. Is how I generally feel <laughs> uh, <laughs> during my commutes. No, I, I do, I do. And I just, um, so sometimes I, instead of like asking a question, I just do a little statement and Chippy's like, this is Raquel just saying a statement of like, <laughs> oh, it's amazing. Um, so I just want to give you a little story that, um, it was last week was probably the first time ever I've went to a bookstore during quarantine and I decided to buy your book and I bought your, the new clean, which is like 10 years old. Right. Um, instead of we, your new book, <laughs> we tag team here. She got the new clean. I got, it's not magic. We're like, okay, we've covered our bases. We're good. <laughs> but the reason why I love it is because of the train. And I really miss reading poetry on the train, the commute. And, um, yeah, I just want to let you know, I bought it at like Fort Greene at the Greenlight Bookstore. So Brooklyn representing- wow, They still have the new clean on the shelf? Yes. <laughs> yes, they do. And it just spoke to me. And I let me tell you, I think every single poem that I've read in that book, because um, you're talking about like artifacts, right? Or this emotional historian. I, you know, for someone who's never, you know, really read your book like this, I think- um, I see myself as someone who just moved to New York like three years ago um, in these pages. And I just want to know, like, have you reread your book, like your works? Has this been also your artifacts? I'm like, what do you think about this at this time, you know, during COVID where you can't just ride the subway, you can't interact with, you know, people and write stories like you're communally alone, but because of quarantine. Yeah. I mean, I read the new clean and with very, with a few exceptions, it really feels like it was written by a different person. Um, but that's because I turned it in, you know, 11 years ago um, was when the final date was there. And I just, um, so I haven't gone back and read it in a very long time. Um, but I'm always grateful when kind of people reach out about specific poems from it. Um, and I forget the second part of your question. No, that's that was it was a statement, and then that was my question. <laughs> that, that was it. That I was it. the second part of your statement. Uh, <laughs> she, but, she, uh, <laughs> but honestly, well, I'll say this though, like you know, I I oftentimes I've only I've put out two books, and with both of them, I've really felt like, okay, these are not going to be perfect. These are going to be really flawed in mm-hmm. so many ways, but 
my job is to make it the best that it can be, like the most accurate representation of me that it can be right now. And to really feel grounded on like, I, that's the only criteria that there can be if you're putting something out. It's a snapshot, it's a moment in time for you. Um, and so I look back sometimes at some of the heartache in there and I just have, I just have much more perspective on it or, or some of my like phrasings where I'm like, that's not really you any like, you know what I mean? Like I, I, yeah. and so there are all these little things where I can go back and I can certainly pick them apart. Uh, but I feel grateful to, I don't know, leave a record behind yeah. <laughs> of who I've been and how my brain has worked and how I've thought. And so there are moments in that book and there are moments and it's not magic even now as I'm kind of a couple years from it. I mean, it's not magic kind of traverses a whole stage of my life that really ends when I meet my wife. Like that happens at the very, very end of that book, but that's the world I live in now. And so it speaks to an older time too. And yeah, I don't really have a final synopsis to this point <laughs> other than just to say, I appreciate leaving a record of who you are um, yeah. behind. Let's talk a little bit about your your writing and your voice. You know, um, there were a lot of poems in the New Clean that and uh, carried this sort of like blend between like conversational, uh, almost like stand-up comedy, and and then these like almost awkward blasts of just like poignant, profound poetry, right? Uh, like a really good example is On the Bus in Queens uh, or in It's Not Magic, Moons Over My Hammy, you know? It's like a style that kind of disarms people and then we're like laughing and then all of a sudden it takes like this crucial turn and just like drills us with this poetry, with this message that like resonates. So like, is that a fair assessment of your work? Um, because if so, like it's a very unique voice to hear. So I'm wondering, like, who kind of influenced your writing in that direction? Well, that I would say, as far as influences, like if I had to have a Mount Rushmore of influences, <laughs> uh, it would yes. probably be Willie Perdomo, Stephen mm -hmm. Dunn, Adaselis, Girmay. Um, and maybe Wisława Zimborska, the Polish poet. Um, but, you know, that's just names. I think a lot of times for me, um, you know, I'm on that same ride. Mm. <laughs> I'm not writing it thinking, ooh, how am I gonna really get them <laughs> with this <laughs> one, you know? I mean, on the bus in Queens got written because I rode the bus in Queens and had this just like profound exchange with this woman. Um, and then, you know, I was like teaching out in Jamaica and then got on the A train and I was doing 3030. I probably wouldn't have even written it had I not been, right? But I was like, let me just remember that. Mm -hmm. um, and Moons Over My Hammy was really similar. I was doing a show called The Encyclopedia Show um, uh, in New York City. The, a long time ago and that was my prompt i had never i didn't know what moons over my hammy was uh and that, but that was like the prompt i had gotten and so but i you know i guess with a poem like moons over my hammy you know i had been thinking so much about my high school self and i had felt like there were so many storylines about who i was that were 
uh, that I just never thought about, but they were also unreconciled and untold in who I was. And I was having these moments in my adult life as I was, you know, looking for love or trying to grow where, and maybe you've had this too, where you'll be like, oh, I'm a 30 year old, but now I'm a 14 year old. And it <laughs> happened like this <laughs> and I can't explain why. And, you know, I think uh, when stories you've wanted to tell find their surprising beginnings, like there's no reason why, I got moons of my hand, which is Denny's breakfast sandwich. I never ate at Denny's, but I was like, but I did eat at Waffle House. So I was like, I was just like <laughs> trying to write the poem. I was like, I don't, I know dick about that. I do know that I was like at Waffle House with these people. And then that happened right after like this person said this to somebody else. And then we made this awful like senior skit. And then my best friend and I like got in a fist fight and locked ourselves in his like dad's room and said, I love you for the first time. Like while we were crying, right? Like all of these, these floods of stories can kind of come in. And when you're writing and those things, and that's happening, I truly am trying to get out of the way. Like that's the goal mm -hmm. is to get yourself to a place where, um, where it's coming. And so I oftentimes as, I, as I'm writing it, I'm like, where's the story? Like, where is this going? It feels like a roller coaster and your job is to be playful, playful, patient, patient, patient. Mm -hmm. But then once you see what you sat down to write, if it actually presents itself, which sometimes it doesn't, right? Then you have to be ruthless in the in the pursuit of discovery, in the in the mm. pursuit of saying whatever you sat down to say out loud. So I remember I was interviewing Hanif um, earlier uh, this year on uh, on P's and Q's, and he has this unbelievable poem uh, that begins with. Um, I'm gonna get it wrong, but it's like people arguing about pizza outside of his window in Columbus, <laughs> like the lack of cheese. I'm so sorry, honey, if I'm getting it wrong. But it like, <laughs> then it ends on on like a real grief on the dissolving of um, his relationship. And I was asking him about like, so when do you know that the pizza thing is a poem? <laughs> like, did you know? <laughs> he was talking about being so fascinated with the pizza. And I was like, did you know then? And, and he, he was like, no, I knew when I sat down to write it. Like right when I put the pizza thing on paper is when I know that there's something there. Uh. And so I think a lot of it is sitting down and not judging your entry points. Yeah. So many of my entry points are just silly, right? Like they don't make any sense, but I'm not trying to be silly. I'm trying to... Uh, figure out what it is that I have to say, because mm. it's right now it's this, you know, it's a fist, it's nothing, it's unarticulated and yet it's so powerful. And honestly, an unarticulated fist is dangerous. Mm. And so I think at least for me, right, that's true. <laughs> and so, so much of the writing process mm. is being like, whoop, can I pry that? Can I pry these fingers? open? Can I know what's actually here? And so, I mean, you can't really talk about that without talking about shame. Um, mm. And so oftentimes, you know, shame uh, is a huge component of my work. <laughs> and mm. it's not to be, um, you know, brashly approached. Shame doesn't really respond to that. Shame has to be coaxed. 
Shame has to be romanced in so many ways uh, to find its way out. And so I try to use all the tools at my disposal to just get there. Mm -hmm. Because you want the story to be that you just walk up and say what it is that you have to say, but your body has other plans yeah. so many times. And so I, I guess like poems like those, I'm just going for the journey. And then honestly, I'm taking them to an open mic, right? And I'm reading them and I'm seeing how it feels. If I go to an open mic and it feels bad, not any open mic, right? But if I go to Super Duper Fresh, you know, we build a room where people will be honest with me, <laughs> where people whose <laughs> opinions I respect, you know? If I read a poem and it's a dead line, I'm like, okay, I gotta work on that. <laughs> um, and so there's, this, there's a certain scaffolding before it comes out in a book that does feel very communal, where uh, not to just keep bringing it back there, but I, I mean, these poems start quiet and private and humble and yours. And that's really the only way that I think you can get to say something honest is if you're sitting down and being like, this is what I'm gonna say to all of them. Then my body's like conservative, 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 mm -hmm. not politically conservative, right? But like, just like, yeah. like no, you can't be vulnerable. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You just said like 17 things that I think I need to get tattooed. Uh. Yeah, it's just well, basically just the way that <laughs> you write or just like the ideas to like live by really. Right now I'm just been writing like not judging your entry points. And I even think that it's not only being applied to your writing, but even to your life too, you know, going back to, you know, these artifacts like be kind to where you want to start your life or where you want to, you know, start over because it's sometimes hard and don't judge yourself for it. I think that's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, well, final note, final note. Uh, let's get personal. Um, you've been a father now for a little bit. Yeah. You know, I think you, you could, you'd still fall under the category of new, new father. Yeah. Yeah, uh, how has that experience uh, been and how is it influencing your work these days? Oh. <laughs> uh, I don't know how to really sum that up. I mean, I, I wanna give you an answer um, that doesn't sound trite or cliche because there are just so many ways to go about loving and, and the pursuit of it. Um, but I mean, it's changed my life first by introducing a kind of love that I, I have not seen before. Um, and, uh, and I honestly have so much less free time that I don't have that much, you know, like it's influenced my work because I think a lot about him and I think a lot about, um, you know, like the person that we want to raise. And, my, and Maggie and I talk a lot about that. Um, and, you know, it's not, it can't be rhetorical. <laughs> uh, there are so many ways to talk a big game. Um, and I think he's such a, a mirror, you know, now he's almost two. And so, oh, oh God, I can't believe I'm gonna say this, but it's like such a gross example. But every once in a while, oh, I was like, so it's weird what will get me embarrassed, like talking about like shame or like these things, but like uh, 
every once in a while, if I'm eating something that I really, really like, I'll like lick the plate. <laughs> the <laughs> private thing that I have done, like that was a great sauce. <laughs> Please don't judge me. I wouldn't do it in public or in a restaurant, you know what I mean? And he'll like, you know, lick. He just like licked his like bib today. And I was like, John, you got to stop, man. Like, you gotta, <laughs> good. But, and so that's like a silly example. But there are these little ways in which you judge or harm yourself or um, are cruel to yourself that you can't hide from your child. And so I do think that, um, you know, finding ways, the, the relationship between your relationship to yourself and how you project onto your kids is really, really big, right? So right now I'm writing so much about body image and just like, um, I don't know, processing what it was to be a heavy kid and the ways in which that that really surfaces for me. And then, you know, if I'm not careful and all that goes unlooked at and unprocessed, then it's something that I can like project onto him or something where I'm like too meticulous with his diet or something, you know, like these are small examples, but they're also like our unprocessed insecurities are visited upon our kids. And so I don't know, it makes me really want to really work on self <laughs> as much as possible to help him, uh, you know, be a kind yeah. person who loves himself. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, I'm just like this. I've been thinking just like this. I want to re-listen to this episode all over again tomorrow, just because every time you speak, I'm like, wow, it's just it's a poem. It really oh, is. Thanks, Raggy. <laughs> Welcome. I think since I that's a beautiful way to end it off, you know. Um, if you can please, please, you know close us off with the final poem and just grace us with one last poem. That would be great. I can, I yeah. can and I will. Yeah. And I just need one <laughs> second. <laughs> okay. um, you know what? I'm gonna read a poem that I don't usually read, but it's the last poem in the book. Um, and I do think it's like, the entry point where this book leaves and kind of begins to move towards where I am. Uh, I don't know, the, whatever phase I'm in right now. And so it's called The Day We Chose Instead to Grow. Maggie met me for coffee at 9 a.m. Our relationship so new, we weren't even calling it that. It didn't make sense that I would leave. She was honey at the end of whatever road turned me out, left for dead, a path that now called me backwards, demanded that I rejoin the shadow that had grown over my heart. I was 14 when dad left for those weeks, years before anyone could talk about it. Mom, the way you looked down at the pavement on our walk, unable to dress up the pain, the fear you were now a broken woman, the way you tried to comfort me, but instead cried and I did nothing to help, which made me worse than dad. 
I kept that image in my brain for years where it simmered. Here it was over coffee telling me I had to leave to rejoin the art project I'd made from emptiness. Maggie could have slapped me and been justified, could have brought up the gates, sunk into her own rot. She rubbed my hand. She bought me breakfast, put two lips on my neck and told me it seemed hard, that maybe I could explain it later when it was less difficult. That was the day the Bengals lost in the playoffs and Daniel died and I couldn't move on my bed while she packed my lunch for a reading at a high school with a friend I'd already lost. It's a lot to even write it. I remember her taking off my jeans, sliding on my sweatpants. I remember the two sandwiches I watched her make. I remember how she kissed my forehead the way you might have when I was young. I remember knowing I didn't need another mother, but seeing through the fog how lucky I was to know her, how she chose to keep me, how facing an old headwind, I chose it too, how small I was then. Thank you, everyone. Applause, 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 y'all. That was John Sands, the one and only, the incomparable, the the uniquely, uniquely unique John Sands. Uh, Thank you for joining us here for this conversation. Uh, I know we have it displayed at the bottom, um, but for anybody that's listening to the podcast in the future, can you please tell us where people can find you, where can people can find your work, and if they feel so inclined to make a donation, uh, where can they go do that? Yeah, you can find me at I am John Sands. Uh, it's J O N S A N D S. The book is called It's Not Magic. Uh, Instagram is really where I'm active. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, but I really, I just rage retweet. Uh, I'm not like a great Twitter follow. Um, but, you know, could happen in the future. So come check it out should you want. Um, and if you were interested in, you know, tipping or doing any sort of, uh, you know, monetary uh, love, I would hope that you should just send it to the way of the Marsha P. Johnson Institute, which is a really, really incredible um, uh, organization that's dedicated to uh, the legacy of Marsha P. Johnson and uh, maintaining safety and prosperity for Black trans women. You can do it at MarshaP.org and definitely send them a donation. And that's it. <laughs> That's it. All right. Well, thank you again for joining us, John. This has been absolutely fantastic. A phenomenal conversation. Thank you so uh, much for having really, me. I really appreciate it. You're both uh, unbelievably kind, and I had a great time. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much, John. <laughs> uh, yeah, wow. I'm definitely re-listening to this episode as well. Yeah. I'm definitely going back and re-listening. I was like, I, I'm not taking enough notes. This man is dropping wisdom. <laughs> so much, so much. I was like, I didn't think that this is, you know, I feel like the universe definitely 
provides you with the words that you need to hear. And this is what I needed to hear entering a new year for myself. Your thirties um, officially. In my thirties. Yeah. <laughs> officially, I am. I am entering my early mid thirties now. <laughs> uh, so, you know, getting there, getting there. But yes, I totally agree. This was one of those conversations that it was just like I needed to hear all of it tonight. Yeah, I needed all of this for my soul. So, all of it. Oh my all goodness! Right. I know. Well, I go ahead. No, 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 no. You, you go, Fran. <laughs> I know. I know that every time we always try to figure out how to wrap up or reflect each podcast with like one word or the words of the night. Um, and I think to me, I'm still so much about like these artifacts, right? Looking back on this histor- you know, emotional historian, um, and, and artifacts as well. And, um, looking passive, entry i'm i'm so i'm so fixated on those like entry points right oh um, that's that's the key right there these entry um, points that just unlock stories where you're like i didn't know that was in me mm-hmm. damn oh. you writing prompt <laughs> oh my goodness how about you what were your I, no i t- i'm totally there too with the the artifacts i feel like every time i pick up like something that i wrote from forever ago i'm like holy shit that was a moment in time i forgot about like that happened to me you know uh and when he was talking about the old journals like oh lord it's almost painful sometimes to go back and read those journals but then you're reminded just like how far you've come as a human being so uh i i definitely love that um yeah i'm gonna sit with this one for a while i don't have a word audience those of you who are watching do you have a word how would you sum up tonight's conversation uh because that was a lot <laughs> yeah so we have jordan over here who said nyc um is either a wave you are writing or a wave you are crashing in legendary mm-hmm. yeah, it was for me it was the uh the relentless pursuit for discovery i think that was the phrase that i was just like wow i mean we kind of started off with really a great, I'm like st- still fixated about like the privacy of us has a river in it. I know that's not his quote, but like to sum up. Uh, okay, we could go on. Let's thank some people and let's get on out of here. Uh, thank you so much to the audience who is tuned in tonight. Uh, wherever you're tuning in from, whether it's the Write Art Out Facebook page, uh, the Words and Shit YouTube page, uh, or thank you to Write About Now for allowing us to broadcast on their page to help expand the reach and get more people to know these amazing poets. Uh, so thank you to the audience and thank you to our production crew, Dominique, who's always holding it down in the back, our production assistant, and Chris Conde, who produced our music and if you are tuning in for the first time, Rocky's going to tell you how you can find out more and stay connected with us. Of course. So those who are tuning in right now, you can definitely follow us over here on our banner at IG and, and Twitter. It's going to be at words and shh, right? Please subscribe, rate, review, wherever you, and then, yeah, definitely follow us. Give us a follow. Tell your friends to follow us. You know, we're on social media. We just hit our milestone of, like, 250 followers, um, what, like, two, two, three weeks ago. So we really can't do this podcast without y'all. So please share, share. We're here. We appreciate y'all every single week coming in. And if this is your first time, or even if it's not and you've missed a, uh, previous episodes, you can watch all the episodes on YouTube. They are on our YouTube channel if you want to watch. Or if you're the kind of person who likes to put in headphones and do chores while listening to something amazing, we're available wherever you get your podcasts. Okay? This episode, I mean, if you're listening to it on your podcast, you know this. Uh, but this episode will drop tomorrow morning on our podcast. So wherever you get it, look it up, words and shh.
Shit. <laughs> next week. Yeah, so next week, definitely. I'm sorry. I was just looking at Dominique, who's our uh, production crew. She corrected us. She was like, uh, we just hit 300 and on our IG. Hey! All right, we'll yeah. take it. Thank you so much for y'all. Uh, for next week, basically what we're going to do is we're going to bring in one of our dear friends, um, Jay Ward, on March 18th. Please, please tune in. Same time, same place. Um, and have like, come come ready. Just come, come ready to amazing poetry come get to know the person behind the poetry jay ward is an amazing poet out of the carolinas southern fried mm -hmm. uh fam mm -hmm. uh an overall good guy and ridiculously talented so we can't wait um but until then y'all stay safe out there stay safe we'll see you next week bye